Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, the Utah Jazz are back at it tonight in San Antonio. Uh, They looked lethargic, they looked discombobulated, and they lost to Houston, but uh, it's in the rearview mirror. It's the NBA. Hey, you've still won four of your last five. That's 80%. That's uh, 65 win pace. And put together another four-game win streak. Jazz tonight are in San Antonio. Spurs team's got a losing record. They're 20 and 26. Uh, they're on the outside looking in in the playoff race. They're currently in a lottery position, although they're within shouting distance of eighth place. They could get there. Uh, while the Jazz had last night off, a couple other Western contenders played and lost. The Denver Nuggets went to Memphis and got beat 104 to 96. There's an ancient saying from Frank Layden on the road, two quarters in the teens, you're getting beat. The Nuggets offense stalled with 18 points in the first quarter, 16 in the third. They don't get to 100, which is odd in the NBA these days, and they lose 104-96. So not only do the Nuggets go down to defeat and fall a half game behind the uh, Jazz, the Dallas Mavericks at home get blown off the floor by the Suns, 133-104. to DeAndre Ayton had a huge game with 31 points and 9 rebounds. Just a massive performance from Ayton as the uh, Mavericks are now 13-12 and at home. They're much better on the road at home than at home. Remember that when the Jazz go into Dallas. Uh, they got to do that before we get to the All-Star break. So uh, there's that. Also, uh, college basketball. Boy, what an ugly game. What an ugly game in Laramie. It was like 13-12 to 12 after 14 minutes. Neither Utah State or Wyoming could get a point a minute. Aggies finally got the offense revved up a little bit and ended up winning the game 68-45 before a smattering, literally dozens of people in Laramie. It's, uh, they're, they're 0-10 in the conference now. It's just a terrible year for Wyoming. And for a team that struggled to win on the road, that was a very forgiving place to have a horrible start and then come on and get a very comfortable win. Uh, the game was – they really had it in the bag at halftime. They pulled away by halftime, and you knew the Aggies were going to do it. So they get the win, and in the words of Bill Belichick, on to San Diego State. Play the undefeated Aztecs on Saturday. All right, the Utes headed off to L.A. USC first, and then at UCLA on Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, we're going to hear from – from uh, Larry Kristoviak coming up in a few minutes. But right now, I want to focus on the Aggies and their win over Wyoming. Scotty G on the postgame show with the coach, Craig Smith. Yep, by nine at half, Brock Miller breaks out to start the second half. It was nice seeing him hit those three big threes, and it was off to the races after that. It was kind of a tale of two halves in a lot of ways, and we I thought we um, – in that first half was, I mean, almost a mirror image to last year, except they got the lead early on, or a bigger lead early on, but just kind of a knock-you-down, bang-it-out, bruise, slugfest, ugly, you name every yeah. one of those. If you like offense, it's a thing of beauty if you love defense. But I thought we defended really well. Uh, obviously, offensively, got the dunk on the first possession. We ran a play, and then um, – just kind of ran a lot of motion, and we were just senseless and some mindless turnover. Five of the first nine possessions, we turned it over. I think Nimi had one of them, Bean had one of them, and I forget the other one. But, um, uh, but you know, it's easy to get discouraged when you're not your best on offense, and some teams will stop defending. And this team has really dug into the defensive end since the game at Air Force. And, you know, we held them to 25% scoring and 16 points, and you're up nine. And up nine in this game in the first half is substantial. Yeah. And so, uh, and then you're right, uh, right out of the gates. Uh, Nimi did a good job. I think Nimi found Brock at least on two of those threes, I believe. But he just stepped into those things, and there were no doubt about it. And and we need that out of Brock, you know, uh, because he can do it. He's certainly capable of it, as we know. And uh, and we need to get him going. So, um, But just so many things that second half. I think that's the third straight game now. We shot over 50% from the field in the second half. And we got to keep doing that um, throughout the whole game. But to hold that team to 30% for the game, and I think they scored seven or eight points in the last minute and a half. Yeah. So that would have been in the high 20s. You know, for sure. So uh, it tells you what our mindset was. We outscored them 32 to 14 in the paint. And then our bench, I thought, was really, really good yeah. tonight. Gives us 29 points um, for the game. So it was great to see. We came in here and took care of business like we needed to. And and uh, hopefully we can keep the momentum going on Saturday. Uh, I, You know, the, the old adage is defense travels. And it certainly traveled tonight. Because, you know, offensively, you talk about the turnovers. And the other note, too, is you had eight turnovers in, I think, the first nine minutes. And then you didn't turn the ball all over until 
I'd say the eight, nine minute of the second half, you almost went 20 minutes without a turnover. So I told our guys, and I think it was in the under eight media timeout, yeah. like, man, we're really sharing it. We're moving it. Um, we're getting good shots every possession down. Um, we're not just senseless with the ball. And so it was great to see guys taking ownership and taking pride in that. I thought Diogo was really, really good with that tonight. Uh, I don't know how many times, and it started right when he got in, where he was passing up some open ones just to drive closeouts and, and just walk to the rim a couple of times yeah. um, with that. Obviously, Fonz was really, really good um, and really took over late in the game. And, uh, and again, uh, Sean. Sean just has this way. He, he brings us great pace. That's what I love about him. He, he's long, so he can guard. Like, I thought he did a good job on some yeah. of their bigger guards. Um, but he just brings this different level of pace. And when we turned it over, five of those first nine possessions, when we had brought in this quote-unquote second unit, we had, uh, it was, I think, I think it was, not I think, I know it was, Merrill, Brito, Bearstow. Fonz and Bean and that's when we made our first mini run and then we yeah. stuffed a couple of those guys out and then they kind of came back then we put those guys back in again and that's when we separated by halftime and then you know and then the second half that lineup was really good as well so when you play on the road you always got to eliminate losing to win but especially when you're on your road on the road and you know we ended up with 11 turnovers on the night and they only shoot nine free throws we only shoot 14 uh, and then we were much better on the offensive glass the second half we only had one offense rebound in yeah. the first half and we end up with 10 for the game you know what? i also thought too it's nice where you end up winning the game by 20 plus points and nimi only has to play 21 minutes thought that was huge you know he gets uh, after the game was like well we took care of business in a major way and nimi had a ho-hum game yeah and then you look at the stats, he, you know, three for four in the field, 12 rebounds, <laughs> you know, uh, four, four turnovers. But And he certainly affected a lot of shots at the rim yeah. um, for them. So, you know, you, you literally go through the lineup tonight, and it was just kind of one of those games I'm not sure anybody played real poorly. You know, I thought we got just good production um, up and down. Certainly Sam was a catalyst for us like he usually is, but it was great, like you said, it was great to see Brock break out of that bean gets – you know, only six points. He missed a couple chip shots. Yeah, probably two or three that he'd like to have back that he's been making recently. Um, but he, but we put a lot on him tonight, playing 35 minutes. The key to the night, we held Hunter Thompson to three points and Jake Hendricks to zero. Yeah. So when those two guys score three points, like you were really doing the job on the defensive end, and certainly they were a, a big focal point of our defensive game plan. You know, you go and you look at your last several games. You held, you held Air Force to, I think, 30 points behind under their average. Uh, Colorado State way below their average. Wyoming, you hold to 45. And, frankly, if you don't, you know, yeah. for all intents and purposes, under 40 points, really, outside yeah. of some gimmies late. I mean, yeah. defensively, you've got a run of uh, a, where you guys have just been spectacular defensively. Yeah, guys have gone back to the, you know, obviously we had a rough about eight days and then a rough three and a half minutes. Um, in in January and um, and but you 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 can sit and sulk about it or you can do something about it and our guys have chosen to do something about it we're playing really good basketball right now uh, on both sides and and now we're gonna obviously be really really tested uh, on Saturday but our guys are excited for the challenge we know they're very well coached they're unbelievably talented all the way around but it'll be good for our guys to have a day off tomorrow. Yeah. And uh, it's a tough week with two road trips this week. So, um, uh, but I like certainly like the direction we're going, and you can see it from a lot of different guys um, buying into what what got this, what got us to where we um, have been in the last year and a half, and that's defensive rebounding. And then we'll figure out enough ways to score. Coach, congratulations on the W. Uh, we'll talk again in like 18 hours. Yeah, so. that sounds good, Scotty. Yes. I appreciate it. Hopefully my voice will be a little better tomorrow. So, um, all right, go Aggies. All right, there is the Aggies coach, Craig Smith, with Scotty G. When we come back, PK and I talk in jazz and NBA with Ben Anderson. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. 
DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Ben Anderson joined us late in the show yesterday. Take a look at what the heck went wrong against Houston. And bigger trends as far as the Jazz, defending the Rockets, working Mike Conley back in. Here's Ben Anderson from the Jazz pre-half and post-game shows with PK and I. Ben, good morning. Good morning, guys. So, Ben, I'm curious. Are you more half glass half full or glass half empty? Because watching the Twitter feed, trying to get people to explain what's been going on over the last uh, two months, um, we just got this one tweet from uh, Tenderhearted85. It's simple. The Jazz are just mediocre. They barely beat the bad teams, and they lose to the good. <laughs> They'll probably lose in the first round of the playoffs if they even make it. Okay, now you're Brother. just tweaking people on Twitter with the last part. But I think the earlier part, you know, how good are they? And what is – I think – Go ahead. I think they're very good. I, I still believe they're very good. And I think anyone who's afraid the sky is falling after yesterday is – probably set up by how good the Jazz actually are playing because you watch them for 21 games, win 19 of them, uh, to then see a performance like they had last night. It's just so jarring that, that you have to believe something's inherently wrong or something's terribly wrong with this team because it was such a, an outlier compared to how they have been playing. But, you know, they, uh, to have that many good games in a row and play that consistently well and even have their bad losses, or I should say their losses come in somewhat – you know, in impressive fashion, losing to Miami on the road by three, uh, especially when that bench was as bad as it used to be, and then losing to the New Orleans Pelicans when Brandon Ingram puts up 49 points. Those those aren't bad losses. For, so then for last night to happen, I, I understand why Jazz fans think, oh, something must be terrible, something's gone wrong. It was just a strange outlier. We've been having this discussion about Mike Conley. It's a fascinating discussion. I don't know that there's any particular right answer, wrong answer, but we're going back and forth, you know, as he tries to find his way. And we had somebody uh, get on our phone line from the state of Tennessee and just guarantee us that Mike Conley will be there. Not only will he be there, he'll be the man. And got nothing to worry about with him. And so we see him play, and we're trying to project forward. I have a concern. It's, I don't know what percentage of a level of a concern, but it's out there to where, yeah, he'll really show up in the playoffs when you need his experience. And my thought for you to get your response is, how much can you expect him to really be a big-time player in the playoffs when he is trying to adjust to this entirely different role because it's clear when he was in Memphis, at most times he was at least, uh, at worst, the number two option, if not the number one option. And here you got guys like Mitchell, who obviously has proven worthy of a number one option, will be an all-star, all that stuff. And so you're asking Conley to fit in. And is he capable of then coming up with big moments if he's trying to fit in and he's got to think, okay, do I fit in? Do I take over? What do I do? And you overthink it and the moment's gone. So you put all that stuff in a big stew and then projecting ahead when we get to the postseason, what do you got? And so, Ben, you've got two minutes to give us the definitive (laughs) answer right now. I don't think you can ask him to be the man in the playoffs if you haven't asked him to be the man all year. And the Jazz aren't asking him to be the man. So if you're waiting for Memphis Mike to come back and and be that player, I I don't think it's going to happen because the Jazz don't need him to be that. The Jazz aren't asking him to be that. If if he had come in and and taken over the team and become, you know, what Boyan Bogdanovich did and came in and just said, you know what, I'm the number two scorer and I'm going to get shots and I'm going to make them and I'm going to hit big shots early like he did against the Milwaukee Bucks for the game winner, then then maybe Mike Conley would have that role. But he hasn't done that. The Jazz haven't asked him to do it. And then he got hurt, and the Jazz played so well that they're not going to probably put that on his plate when he does come back. So I do think those are issues uh, that Jazz fans may have with Mike Conley the rest of the year. If you're waiting for that to happen, stop. Because they haven't asked him to do it. They don't need him to do it. I don't think they particularly want him to do it. And then if he doesn't do it in the regular season, he's certainly not going to do it in the playoffs. But his role should continue to increase because I still think the goal is to get him back into the starting lineup. So watching him, I think I just want him to be more efficient. Uh, you know, the nine shot attempts, uh, yeah, there's probably one I would quibble with. Don't take that one. And if you make one of the open ones and you're one for three from three, 
a couple of the turnovers were unforced. You just fall down, dribble the ball off your leg or whatever. Can he just tighten up the act a little bit? Because I don't, I don't think he needs to take over. If he comes in and he's efficient, and when he's got the opportunity, he beats his man, he makes the open shot, he finds the open guy with a pass, they are good to go. Yeah, I agree. He, he doesn't need to come in and, and do anything particularly impressive. He needs to be more decisive. I mean, I think that's something we haven't seen from him very much is that he just comes in and kind of looks like he's still trying to figure it out. But that's absolutely understandable because he was trying to fit in with one team for the first 20 games of the year, and then he got hurt, and he came back, and he's coming off the bench, and he's trying to figure out how to play with a different team. And and then last night, particularly weird because of that defense that the Houston Rockets were playing. And, And even after the game, Donovan Mitchell said, you know, we've played against that switching defense, and we know how to play against it but Mike Conley hasn't, and Boyan Bogdanovich hasn't, and Jordan Clarkson hasn't. So it's not surprising that they don't know what we're trying to do to attack that team. So just based off recency bias, they looked weird last night. And Mike Conley didn't look very good last night and had five turnovers, tying the most he's had in the Jazz uniform. But that could be opponent-driven. I I don't think that's necessarily Mike Conley not having it. He's not the type of guy who turns the ball over a whole lot. So I want to see him be more decisive. I I want him to know what his role is. But I don't know if the Jazz know exactly what his role is. So I think all of that just has to come together with time and reps the same way it has for Donovan Mitchell over a couple of years. And Rudy Gobert really took, you know, as great as he's been this year, he really kind of took another step in the last two weeks. It just it takes a while to continue to fit in. Yeah, okay. And I, we all buy that. But I get – and I'm not there yet. I'm just throwing it out there from a hypothetical standpoint for the sake of discussion. If I keep trying to fit in – and fit in and fit in, if I end up with the square peg round hole, I can keep trying to look at this thing, thinking it's going to fit in eventually, and eventually eventually wears out, and we no longer have eventually, and it's just not going to work. Is there anything there that gives you concern that that possibly could happen? I'm not saying it will. I'm saying possibly. Yes, but... With the caveat that there's a very high safety net if it doesn't work, which is, so he's Emmanuel Moutier and he's your backup point guard, and he gives you as much as Emmanuel Moutier does for the most part. You know, Moutier had a good stretch, and and I think the difference in play right now between Emmanuel Moutier and Mike Conley probably isn't enormous. But because we had these preconceived notions of who Moutier was when he joined the team coming from New York, and then how good we thought Mike Conley was going to be and how he's playing – here with the Jazz, it feels like a step backwards, that, that maybe we're overvaluing what Moutier has done for the team and a little bit undervaluing what, what Mike Conley has done. So, yes, there's concern that he doesn't get back to being the level that he was at, and yes, he makes you know 30% of the salary cap, and that's a big number, and that's a number, uh, number you want to come in and give you enormous production. If he doesn't, Jazz were pretty good when Emmanuel Moutier was playing, and if Mike Conley's giving you that, they're still going to be very competitive, and they're still going to have Boyan Bogdanovich and Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert uh, in the starting lineup that's, that's capable of hurting you and beating you. And if Joe Ingles can break out of this mini-funk that he's been in again, and I think he has been in a little bit of a mini-funk since Mike Conley came back, and I think that's coincidental, uh, then I think the Jazz are going to continue to be a very dangerous team. And I, I totally buy your point that expectations will shape your view of how someone is playing. Uh, and I think that that is one of the reasons the Jazz and so many NBA teams buy into analytics because you've got this, now let's go double-check it, let's crunch the numbers. How efficient are we offensively and defensively with one guy on the floor and with the other guy on the floor to try and eliminate the whole, you know, the power of expectations shaping views? No question about it. And, and I mean, we, we do it with everything. I mean, we're just – we're. We're very flawed in how we observe basketball. And even just looking at it from a numbers point of view is a flawed perspective. I mean, the eye test matters. You know, what you're seeing actually matters and, and how it's working together matters. And the Jazz absolutely make decisions based on that sometimes. If it doesn't feel like it's working, maybe it's not working. There weren't a lot of great numbers that said that George Niang should be the guy in the lineup over Jeff Green. Jeff Green wasn't great, but the Jazz cut him, and George Niang started playing great, and the Jazz became a very good team all of a sudden. So, I test matters and feel matters. And then, of course, you know, preconceived notions certainly are, are a bias you need to be careful of. And that's something Quinn Snyder's done as well, that, 
he's got to make sure he doesn't have biases and, and you know, you, you pick up trends and you pick up things you like and you have to be willing to abandon those and kill those things if, if you're just not ready for them or you don't want to. If you feel like you're over-embracing them, you just can't get too attached to them. The thing about Moutier is interesting. We were also discussing DJ saying that, and you know, I don't have any arguments with what he's saying, that you got to give Conley a stretch of games to try to find his way. And so is that 20, is that 25 games? And then you get to that point. Uh, and, and hopefully it doesn't get to that point, but if it does to where, okay, we need to get Moutier back in the lineup, any concern that you've lost him because you have playing time that's allocated based on production, but in a lot of cases when you lose playing time, it's because you weren't producing, and Moutier has lost playing time, but it wasn't for lack of production. He was actually producing, and it was still taken away from him. So wondering if... That could be a concern in keeping him engaged. Sure. Yeah. You know, you, you go out of the lineup and you don't do your job for a while, and then you're expected to come back in and play right away and, and pick up a role. It, that's going to be an adjustment. Now, I, I still believe that you're going to get Emmanuel Moutier back into the rotation at some point. I, I would imagine that was part of the plan is Mike Conley needs this time off the bench to work on his game and rehab and, and get back into game shape and, and get back to playing really important minutes with the team. And, and then once he gets into that starting lineup, the, that you'll probably see Moutier coming off the bench again a little bit more and handling some of that scoring load and handling a little bit of the playmaking because they're lacking it at times right now. I mean, his decisiveness was good coming off the bench, and maybe that's why Mike Conley's again looks a little bit shaky because you, you had simplified the game down enough for Emmanuel Moutier, and that's not an insult to Emmanuel Moutier. I mean, you had just simple, simplified the game to a point where the Jazz knew what they were trying to do every time they were on the floor, whether it was Moutier in the starting lineup, or I should say coming off the bench, or Joe Ingles in the starting lineup. There, there just was a, an identity that they were running with, and I think they're trying to reestablish that again a, a little bit. And Right now, Mike Conley's trying to find it, and Moutier had it, and when the Jazz can move uh, Conley into the starting lineup, again, as I've said several times, I think that's the goal still then Moutier will come back in and, and help with that identity on the bench, and it will help everybody. I mean, I, I think the Jazz will go back to playing a little bit of a deeper rotation over the last 40 games. I understand Quinn Snyder likes to play nine guys, and then in the playoffs likes to play eight guys. I suspect we will see that again, but I, I don't think we've seen the last of Emmanuel Moutier yet. The Jazz are 10-2 and two in their last 12 road games. What do you expect out of this trip? San Antonio and Denver back-to-back Wednesday, Thursday, and then they're at Portland Saturday night. They should go 2-1. and one. I mean, I think that's fair to expect with, with how good of a team they are. And, and, DJ, you were talking yesterday about how this is a team that's projected or was going into the game projected to win about 58 games. And You win the majority of your road games when that's the case, and they're playing well on the road. So they're better than San Antonio. They're better than Portland. Are they better than Denver? I don't know. That's, that's the question that, that we've been asking for 20 games now and why these games have been fun and been exciting. And uh, They didn't look better than Dallas, and they beat them and they looked like they'd be better in Houston. <laughs> they didn't. So there's certainly some questions for this team, but the nice thing is, is you don't have to base anything the Jazz are going to do tomorrow or Thursday or Saturday on what you saw last night because what Houston did was so weird and so unusual, and, and the lineup they played of everyone six six or shorter with the exception of Isaiah Hardenstein, who played seven minutes, you're just never going to see that again. So I don't think necessarily you have to worry about that. And those teams that the Jazz are going to play, maybe with the exception of, of Portland, is really reliant on a big guy. I mean, you need to see a lot of touches from LaMarcus Aldridge if you're San Antonio. You need to see a lot of touches from Nikola Jokic if you're Denver. And that's good for the Jazz. The Jazz want your best player matched up against Rudy Gobert. They feel like they're going to win that matchup. So I want you to tell me if I'm up in the night, which for a guy who has a morning radio show is not good, obviously, because you get sleep deprivation, and then we know all the problems that can come from that. So that as the backdrop. The Houston game, they have real struggles making the three. And they still shoot 50% from the floor, which then means the actual two-pointers, what were they? 72%. 72% on two-pointers. I'm wondering, in situational situations i guess <laughs> good one that you, you you realize man we're up against a team that's real short and you know probably won't have that very much so that you put that off the side but the the bigger point is the threes aren't dropping but we're kicking butt on the twos but i know we're supposed to take threes is there any time you can just say all right you know the threes just aren't happening for us tonight 
How about we settle for twos because we're scoring twos at a stunning rate. And this tonight, not all the time and very rarely, but tonight might help us have a better chance to win. Is, is that a excuse me? Is that a stupid theory or is there any validity to it? No, Dad lost to the Houston Rockets two years ago, or I guess you know, really two years ago. It didn't happen as much last season, but and Chris Paul because Mike D'Antoni said, "Oh, we shoot the most threes in the NBA, and they're taking away the threes. What should we do? Well, let's kill them with twos." And, and the Jazz lost in that sense because Chris Paul was able to get into the mid range and play well. And if you look at who the best mid range shooting team has been over the last four or five years, it's been the Golden State Warriors because it's nice to give the ball to Kevin Durant or Clay Thompson when they're coming off a curl and have them rise up and, and shoot. A good shot, because when you do that, again, the defense compresses, and then you can kick the ball back out to the three-point line. So you can set up the three-point shot with more twos. So, no, you need to be versatile. You need to be able to score everywhere on the floor, and that's why Boyan Bogdanovich has a lot of value as a guy who can go and catch the ball in the post and and do some things. And I was surprised we didn't see that from the Jazz last night. We didn't see more of those uh, opportunities for him to get those touches where he would have had a size advantage and wouldn't be asked to put the ball on the ground where he had – three turnovers, and some of them were completely unforced. He just lost his dribble. That's an advantage for the Jazz. That's where I actually think Emmanuel Moutier has a ton of value for this team, and you could see him playing in a playoff series where teams are finding ways to eliminate the Jazz open threes or Joe Ingles threes, and they say, you know what, we need a guy who can get to 10 feet and get a good shot off and make that shot. And Emmanuel Moutier does it. And, you know, if we want to make a comparison of who his game is like, it's somewhat Sean Livingston-like, and, and we know how important he was to these Golden State Warriors teams over the last four and five years. He just he would be that guy who would come in and make three or four shots or four out of six shots and have eight points, and they were reserved minutes, but they were minutes you were hoping you would win when Steph Curry or Klay Thompson was off the floor and they weren't playing that type of basketball where they were getting ten threes up in a quarter and making four of them or making five of them or, worst case, making six or seven of them and the game being over, but you realize there was no real drop-off for the few minutes that Sean Livingston was on the floor because he found a way to score efficiently. And you can still do that from the mid-range. No, it's not as efficient as three-point shots if you're making them, but if you're not making them, it's nice to have a secondary option. And I do think the Jazz actually have some of those and will continue to show some of those. But again, to go back to Emmanuel Moutier, that's a value he has and can add to this team. Uh, It's been well known over the last year and a half that one of the real problems with the Jazz is when Adam takes a night off and I cover the team. The home record is much worse with me at the game than it is with Adam Mikulich at the game. And I'm wondering if you've seen any trends like that in the pre-half and post-game. Tim Lacombe, Gordy Chadza, you. Is one of you a real problem? Do we need to minimize the games you're working? Tim was really bad to start the year. I want to say they were, you know, something like 0-4 or 0-5. Uh, and, and I was actually doing very well, including some kind of weird come-from-behind victories mm-hmm. the Jazz had had. I think we've started to even out. And then again, it, everyone's been eating well over the last 20 games. You know, the, the Jazz just aren't losing many of those. And I was working that, that weird Pelicans game that they lost. And, and you know, I, I guess I picked up an L there. And then I picked up a weird one last night. So maybe the recent trend is, is I'm the bad guy. It's certainly right. possible. I was working the Miami night when they traded for Jordan Clarkson and, and they lost that game. So I, I've worked all three of the Jazz last losses over since, what is that, December 14th? I worked the Oklahoma City game, too, so I worked the last four losses oh, for the you Jazz. Suck. So you do I'm suck. I'm doing terrible. <laughs> I got to the awful. bottom of this. <laughs> well, I, I honestly hadn't thought about it because I try not to blame myself. I think you need to be a little... Team. Hey, accountability, buddy. Look in the yeah. mirror. You need to be a little freer with the blame. Now, yeah, I'm should, looking at I the schedule now. They lost to the Lakers on December 4th. Did you work that one? They got blown out, 121-96. I didn't work that game. Okay, that's I was not it. doing radio that game. That's where the streak ends then. Okay. All right. Good to know. All right. Well, Ben, uh, thanks for joining us, and uh, try to enjoy the pre-half and post a little less often because you're clearly part of the problem. I know. I'm, a, I'm an issue. Thanks, guys. There's Ben Anderson from the pre-game, halftime, and post-game radio shows, and apparently he's brought a little bad luck to the old broadcast booth. Well, he'll work on that. When we come back, more with PK and I. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. 
from Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80, The Zone. All right, we mentioned earlier this hour that the uh, Aggies won in Wyoming. Terrible start. But they came out and won comfortably, 68-45. Ugly game, but they needed a road win. They got it. Maybe that helps erase the memories of UNLV and Air Force. Now, the Utes need a road win, too. The Utes are playing USC and UCLA on the road this week. USC first, and then Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday against UCLA. Here's a little bit of Larry Kristoviak meeting with the media. Larry, how are you this morning? Good. Um... Obviously, with the Kobe jersey, this is a tough time for a lot of people. Just um, your reaction when you found out on uh, on Sunday? You know what? You know what? Uh, it actually kind of felt like a dream. I was uh, home watching games in my uh, in my bedroom, and my wife was taking a bath, and my son was in the neighborhood, and they yelled at me to, you know, made the announcement. Uh, through the next room and I just you know just kind of dumbfounded and um you know pretty pretty dang shocked um so yeah that's it's been a rough day and a half or so your players, obviously, I'm sure a lot of these kids grew up um, idolizing him. They were young at a time when he yeah. was at the peak. Is this something yeah. that you've talked to the kids about yet? Well, um, I think some of the irony uh, lies in the fact that Saturday, we, my wife and I got an opportunity to meet a family that's from Vegas when we played Kentucky. And we've been involved a little bit with the coaches versus cancer and... Uh, and got an opportunity to meet this family with a little girl named Emily, who's 10. <clears throat> and she's got a, a pretty darn rare form of uh, cancer that's, you know, a real battle for her. And uh, so we dedicated our game Saturday. We had her here a couple hours prior to the game and uh, set up a, you know, we set up a jersey and got a bunch of stuff and uh, made sure our team introduce himself to her and the family prior to the game we dedicated the game to her and had him in the locker room afterwards so part of my message um you know when things when things get going rough um one of the best things i think about sports is you know i don't remember a whole lot of the wins and losses or any stats or technicals or fouls or any of that stuff but you remember a lot of the people that you're with and the and the teammates and the coaches uh and it's a family and so uh, Saturday prior to the game, Saturday after the game, that was a big part of my message is, you know, let's make sure we're treating each other right. And I actually made the comment that, uh, you know, here we are about 17 players, 10 coaches, support staff, doctors, everybody. This is a family in this room. And I don't know which one of us is going to leave first, you know, have your number called first. But the 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 message behind it was to let's make sure we're looking out for each other we're treating each other right we don't have any regrets and uh i'll be danged if you know um a day, 24 hours later there's not a prime example of that that everybody felt the connection to so um sometimes we get caught up in sports and i think there's a a great responsibility for our coaching staff um athletic director president everybody we all know what our job is to win games but um we also take it pretty seriously that there's another side to it and you know the compassion side the people side and making sure we learn how to treat people right and uh and work really hard and and uh and know that in the big big scheme of things you know basketball games and even a a career is a really little speck in the whole scheme of things so um, it was kind of an eerie weekend that way, thinking about that. So, and we wish Emily well. She's up at the Huntsman uh, Institute, getting her treatment, and everybody's praying and pulling for her too. So, yeah. Larry, what was what was your interaction with Kobe your last year in the NBA, his rookie year, or, or maybe even when you were coaching with Milwaukee? Yeah, uh, we're playing that last year. Yeah. Um, 
Well, you know, I, I, I served a couple of 10 day contracts with the Lakers. They were beat up and I just gotten married, uh, went on a cruise and had a nice long pre honeymoon in Key West. And Del Harris was the Laker coach at the time who I played for in Milwaukee for my whole run. And, you know, he's a dear friend. Um, and when they were in, I just sent him a text message out of the blue and I said, Hey, I see you got a bunch of your big guys down. If you need to sign somebody on a 10 day, uh, and it was very much a joke. Uh, but I, within an hour I was, I had a ticket booked and I was going to try to pass a physical. So I played, uh, almost three weeks there. I think about 11 games. Um, and a number of those games, obviously I got the, the NUP CD that we used to joke that did, did not play coach's decision on the stat sheet, which didn't involve a bunch of numbers, but it was letters. And, and I can remember a couple times I was trying to figure out if I, you know, could validate it, but I, I'm certain that there were a couple of games in that run for me that there were two guys on the Laker roster on that stat sheet that got DNPCDs and it was me and Kobe. And a lot of people don't remember that it wasn't all roses for him as a, as a rookie in the league. He played about 16, 17 minutes, uh, had, a, had a handful of those denipsities, uh, and but you know and, and I was trying to hold on and so I would be one of the first guys to the gym and I know this is really common Bill Riley was telling me about it last night that uh, you try to beat him to the gym you know you knew how hard he worked it was him and Larry Bird when, whenever we played the Celtics you'd always I'd, I'd always want to get to the gym early and sure enough he was down at the other end shooting and then you'd try to stay in there longer than they would or get there before they got there and he couldn't do it and um so it was pretty impressive. He was just a young kid, and I was obviously at the other end of the spectrum. And, you know, you just, you don't, when you're part of that, even though my role was very minimal, you're still, you still put on a Laker uniform, you know. Um, and I, I was number seven, and I just remember enjoying that run with those guys and your teammates. And so, um, you know, short of that, there wasn't a whole lot of interaction. It was kind of a, a new thing for me being on a new squad and freshly married. And, uh, Del Harris, uh, you know, just said after the fact, he said, Hey, that's kind of my wedding gift to you. So it was, uh, it was a heck of a gesture and it gave me an opportunity to, to be a part of it. But, um, yeah. How much do you think this is going to be a distraction for your players moving into this week? Obviously with an important road trip for you. I, I don't think it'll be any distraction. You know, um, to me, we should be playing for Kobe, and it, it creates a little bit of an inspiration and a motivation of how quick things uh, can come to an end, and I think he was a great role model for how to play the game. There are a bunch of great quotes that I shared with our team yesterday, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of excuse makers out there, and, and you know, people that are always going to come up with something uh, at the end of the day, they just didn't work hard enough. And Kobe didn't have a lot of time for those people. He's very focused. And so, um, you know, in times like these, it should be a great inspiration. Um, you know, and the same thing f with those L.A. kids. They grew up in the in the heart of it. So I can't picture a distraction being part of it. Uh, you know, we're far enough removed. Um from that situation. So I, I think we're going to be in good shape. And we had a great spirit about us in practice yesterday. Um, Jonathan Raverino, who's our, our sports psychologist and very close to our team, addressed our team prior to practice without the coaches there. And he's been very helpful with them and trying to help guys get through it and get their minds right. And then we practiced really hard and it was fun, maybe one of our better practices. And then I addressed the team afterward. But I. Um, you know, things like this, I don't think are distractions. I think they're galvanizing and kind of bring people together and, and get you to take a pretty good look at yourself and, and why we're playing. Uh, you're playing, the USC's kind of been one of the surprise teams of the league this year, playing awfully well. Just talk a little bit about them and also the idea that you're playing, you know, you, you play these two out of, you know, Thursday, Saturday, and now you have one of those, you know, Thursday, Thursday Sundays. Sunday. Like, uh, for your next five road trips or that way or, or just or that way just is there a difference on that the way you approach games when you have the extra, the extra day and uh, or, or not and then just talk about USC well you know I think um, sometimes it gets a little bit goofy when uh, when you have maybe an, an extra day or less day than your opponent it's happened before 
It happened, I think, last year where USC played Colorado on Wednesday, and then we played them on Saturday. We played them here on Saturday, so they had an extra day. When you're on the road, you can have an extra day, uh, which sometimes I think is hard, you know, and that's happened before in the past where you play Thursday night, you play Saturday afternoon, and the team you're playing on Saturday afternoon played Wednesday night at Colorado. But this particular, if I'm not mistaken, I think this is the same rest for, for each team, so it doesn't really uh become you know too much of a a storyline i think you know it gives you a, it's it's hard these thursday saturdays are hard it's one of the rare conferences that packs those you know and it's a fine line you, you get to the other leagues in the country and they'll play a midweek game at home and a road game on the weekend and so you've got 3 days you know maybe 4 days between games so it's a challenge for everybody involved to try to have a quick turnaround with just the single day in between um you know, and I, I, when it's when it's an even playing field and both teams are going through it, uh, you know, I think it's I think it's fine. It's uh, gives us one more day to recover, and you know, the same thing with with uh, UCLA on Sunday. So, um, I I don't think we make a whole lot of it. It's hard to be on the road. It's hard to be nights in the hotel. I think as coaches, we've gone back to trying to have less. We used to have some Wednesday Sundays. And those were some rough ones where you'd leave campus on Tuesday and you don't come back sometimes till Monday. And when you talk about student athlete and all of that, it's, it comes into play. But I think we're pretty dialed in academically and, uh, and we'll be able with an earlier game on Sunday, although it's Super Bowl, that part I'm probably not fond of is we'll miss probably half the Super Bowl getting back. Um, but we'll be back in our own bed Sunday night. So it really won't come into play for, for class or a, a short week. Well, you know, Jonah Matthews is a guy that's been around a long time in their program. He's a captain for them. And then their big guys, Rikosevich, um, and we're just saying it O squared because I can't pronounce his name. He probably feels the same about me. Um, but those guys are a load inside. They're an elite rebounding team in our league, shot blocking team. Um, you know, they provide a great post presence for, for, for those guys. And then they've got a bunch of, you know, there's capable shooters. There's a couple of really good shooters and athletes. The guys all look like they've spent a little time in the weight room and, and super athletic. So, um, you know, not unlike a lot of Pac-12 teams, but they're playing really well. They're eight and one at home and, um, and have a lot of the key components to there's, you know, there's a reason they're five and two in league. You know, they've done really well in league and I, it really isn't a surprise to me necessarily, but I think they're anchored a little bit by the, by the big guy, the freshman that not a lot of people knew maybe was going to be quite this good. You've made recruiting LA and Southern California a priority for a long time now. Um, you know, not all of the guys have stuck around, but you've effectively recruited that region of California. Um, when you first came here, why was that such a priority and why does it continue to be now as you're in year nine? Yeah, well, number one, it's just, you know, population data. There's a heck of a lot of kids that are playing in, in the state of California and in particular Southern California. And there's only so many of them that can, you know, go to UCLA and USC if that's their desire. So, um, I think we've been really fortunate with guys. It's a, it's quite a lengthy list of guys. Um, and I think kids want to be in the Pac-12. It makes perfectly good sense. There's a little bit of a blueprint when we got here of trying to, you know, Coach Majerish did such a good job and it was a different conference and a different environment, but he always, he always tried to recruit, uh, the top Utah kids, which we're trying to do and have a little international flavor mixed in, which we do. And I think it's important that you, you know, regionally, California is one of the biggest, uh, you know, bases for, for kids. So it makes a lot of sense. We've had success. I think there's good relationships with ourselves and kids from Southern California. That's a big part of it. You know, the, a lot of people are tied in. And so uh, if they're not having a good experience when they come to Utah, then it, it might dry up a little bit. But when things are going well and these young men come uh, to Salt Lake and it goes well, then I think it kind of perpetuates itself a little bit. We're able to keep some momentum going and try to recruit in that neighborhood. Just to follow that up, not to ask you your itinerary, but you and your staff, you're in that area for four days now. Yeah. With the two middle days, will you maybe try to check in on some things recruiting-wise, maybe a, a kid who... Oh, for sure. No, there's some tournaments and different games going. So, um, 
that you know in, in response to Mike's question that's one of the positive elements is having that extra day there on a weekend gives us a chance I mean you could get back potentially uh, but you can't have coaches missing games and different things so it actually sets up pretty well to target some some games in the area we'll be well that's what we'll be doing You've talked about obviously needing to get road wins now, kind of making that progress. Is there anything you can draw from maybe the Kentucky game or Nevada or those types of games where you have won and had success that can pull into that? And how do you, how do you kind of get kids to buy into that? Well, I think it's all about experience, Josh. You know, really, it's uh, they don't buy into it if you haven't experienced it and you haven't done it. And I think we were really dialed in at Nevada. I think we were really dialed in in Las Vegas playing Kentucky. We had you know I, th- I think you play how you train and um you know we had a tough stretch you know we're all in three in the pack 12 on the road but not exactly favorable places to to try to go get a w you know in colorado some of it has to do with what happens the week before you know colorado comes off a game that they shouldn't have lost against oregon state so you know they're a veteran group and uh, motivated and we got a really good punch by them and we didn't respond. And then the same thing happened where Arizona loses two games in a row, which they never do. And you get, you know, punched in the mouth by them. So there's certain things we couldn't control. I, we would have to be really good to beat either one of those teams. And then I think we, we didn't play a very good game at Arizona State. We played well enough in stretches. So you kind of get what you deserve. Um, you know, and, and our guys are growing up. I do think you see a lot of our young kids that are, garnering a little bit of experience they remember what that feel good is like and even though we won two games this past weekend nobody showed up yesterday you know we had an edge about us and our coaching staff made sure that we dictated that you go on the road things are hard you don't get calls in practice this week there's you know you tried to create a little bit of a road uh environment with some adversity and uh and stir it up a little bit and see who wants to respond that's you know there's some question marks with our lineup of who's playing who's not playing uh, we're at the point of the season where it's not a big meeting time where you're going to sit down and have touchy feely meetings with guys, but you know we're inside of seven weeks, and you know uh, your actions are speaking so loud I can't hear what you're saying, kind of thing. So let's and, and it was great. It was really a good practice yesterday. So hopefully we can continue to train well this week and then feel good about stepping on the floor on Thursday. The NCAA tournament's always kind of the standard barrier for everybody and success. But with a young team like this, what do you what do you measure as success as as realistic expectations for what this team can achieve? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I know I don't know what we can achieve. I know what we're trying to achieve, and that's certainly uh, getting a ticket to the big dance. You know, there's ways that that can happen, and uh, I've said it every year we've been here. Until somebody tells me we're not going, that's what we believe. And, you know, net number wise, which is a, a pretty valuable deal, we're, we're uh, you know, 10 spots out of potentially making it. Um, we've got we've got an opportunity to play a number of quad one games, you know, this weekend, Thursday uh, is one of those opportunities. So you got to compete, you got to win games. And I think we've done enough in the preseason. I think the conference is strong enough uh, to try to finish in the top four or five spots and then be able to play our best basketball at the right time of year which is going down the stretch um you know and getting hot when we get to vegas so uh i don't have any expectations i just know that we're working and driving every day in practice we don't talk about it a whole lot but we we all know what we're trying to do just with the recruiting stuff um Ian Martinez, he's he's having a pretty nice season. He's a he's a good get for you. Just how how optimistic are you about, you know, just the season he's having, and in your mind, you know, the player that he can turn into once he gets here. Yeah, no, I love Ian. Uh, it's been one of the great, um, you know, families when we we were we were one of the first teams to offer him. I remember going into a gym. I was actually watching somebody else in in L.A. and. Uh, he caught my attention as a young kid. I think he was a sophomore at just at the time. And, uh, and then once we got to know his parents and heard a little bit about their story, uh, I've got a lot of faith in, in him to have a great career. But I think, you know, that's the nature of recruiting. You're always excited about your recruits. And uh, we're not trying to place any lofty expectations on him. And... Uh, he's excited to get in here and start working. He's working on his body to get stronger, but he's as an athletic of a player as we've ever had. 
I mean, when he was on his official visit here, he sat through a bunch of meetings with academic and nutrition and sports scientists, sat and watched us practice for about an hour, and when we were done with practice, he jumped right up and did like a windmill dunk that, you know, right off the bench. And I just, you know, not that that's everything, but he's, I think he's a student of the game and he's going to be very coachable. And then when you combine that with, uh, you know, an elite athletic set, uh, his future is very bright. I'm, I'm fired up about all our recruits, though. I'd hate to leave anybody out. We're, we're really excited about the kids we have coming. Yeah, no, I think it's a transition for Henry. He's doing a great job, you know, and he's he's made a great connection with our players, and he's there. Uh, he's really spending a lot of time on individual workouts. Some of our red shirts, you know, there's a lot of hours behind the scenes, and he's he's learning. He's paying a lot of attention. He's taking a lot of notes. There's a lot, you know, with joining a new staff, you know, forget the language barrier side of it and the newness of all that. Uh, and, and he's on a, an active working staff. He's been in, around basketball the whole time, but there's a lot of this that's new. And I think he's doing a really good job of, you know, just sit, you can see he's just sitting back and taking it all in. Uh, he's not a guy that needs to, you know, be heard and trying to, you know, trying too hard. So I think it's, it's been great. And, uh, I think that, I think it's just going to get better. You can see where he, you know, kind of like a player when somebody has a chance to, to, to be a really good uh, player and somebody has a chance as a bright future in coaching, you can kind of see it. And I think, I think he has that. Larry, who on this current roster has been uh, somewhat of a surprise to you this season, whether it be maybe their commitment to the game or their leadership? Is there someone that's been a pleasant surprise to you? Well, you know, I think that's a big part of it is, is, uh, you know, and it's it's broad. It's it's basketball. It's academics. You know, um, Jackson Brinchley, Eli Ballstead got four points. That that's one way you can surprise somebody uh, academically. Our team was a three. Our team GPA was a three point two, which uh, if if I'm not mistaken, I talked to uh, Mary Chris in our academic department, I think 1979 or something, there was a quarter or semester that they had that grade point average. So, uh, that's, that's huge. And I think there's a correlation with guys that are taking care of their business in the classroom, having a chance to be successful on the court. And, you know, with a lot of the young guys, I, I'm not surprised. Uh, I'm pleased with, with Timmy and Riley, uh, the leadership role, a couple of our captains, um, you know, the focus and the communication and helping the young kids along. Um, and then you could, you know, there's, it's all about the next game. So I, I thought Mickey and Brandon Carlson, Ryland Jones were really good Saturday. Uh, but you're only as good as your next game, you know, so we, we don't really pat too many people on the back. I think guys get recognized, but they know it's a grind and, I'm hopeful we can talk about this question in seven weeks when we really have some guys that are stepping up at the right time so we can do what you're talking about uh, and making it to the NCAA tournament. But I'm pleased with everybody's work work effort, work ethic. And I think it's been a little bit of a roller coaster with some guys. It's hard being a freshman. So some guys look like a deer in the headlights just before Christmas and and uh, the Christmas break was good for them and now everybody's kind of getting their sea legs again. So it's uh, the season can be a little bit of a roller coaster ride and what we're asking is for guys to be consistent. There's Larry Kristoviak, part of his conversation with the media. We're going to take a break, come back. What is trending is coming up next. <laughs> 